continue on in our series, Jesus Is. We're walking again through the, the book of Hebrews, and it probably feels like it's getting kind of repetitive. We're talking about uh, high priests and tabernacles and covenants and all that good stuff, but it's super important stuff, and I think you'll see, hopefully tonight, that each week, even though we seem to be talking about the same general things, that there is a lot of distinction, and it is powerful in the ways that it is distinct. So tonight, we're going to be talking about how Jesus is the better covenant. We'll be walking through the entire chapter, uh, chapter 8. Um, it's a shorter chapter, but it is good stuff. And so when I say Jesus is the better covenant, that might not make sense at first, but I hope by the end of tonight it does. Uh, this past Monday night, I came home from work. I was tired. I just wanted to relax a little bit. The day was unwinding. And uh, Silas, like he does Typically, he, he goes, he takes a bath, and he's just, um, he loves bath time. He just plays. He has all his toys. It's just a fun time for a two-year-old. And, uh, and so he was taking a bath, and uh, he finishes up. And you know, this is hard to explain if, if you don't, if you, if you haven't been in this position. But for some reason, small children love to run naked uh, every chance they get. I don't know. Maybe it's just a freedom that we uh, dream of. Ex- never mind. I don't know. But anyway... <laughs> I don't know where I was going with that, um, but he loves it, and, and so he gets out of the bath, and you know, Tara dries him off real quick, and then he starts running around, um, just just as naked as a jaybird, and he's running around through the house. And I was sitting on uh, on our bedroom floor, and I was just kind of just relaxing. I forget what I was even doing there, but I was sitting there, and he comes running into the room, and he's running in circles and whatnot. And I said, Silas, we got to get your diaper on, buddy. We got to get your diaper on. And he ran behind me. And I, so I didn't see him for a split second, but I told him right before he ran behind me, I said, we got to get your diaper on, buddy. And, and in an instant, like without, I mean, I'm tired, I'm not thinking. In an instant, he starts to army crawl up my back as I'm in the Indian position, like I'm just uh, sitting Indian style on the floor. He crawls up my back, grabs me from like this around the neck, and he, he's army crawling up there. And he whispers something in my ear, some sweet nothing. I, was, I didn't know what he was saying, but before you knew it, I'm telling you, it happens in a flash. I felt somebody else's urine <laughs> in my pants. And I thought to myself, what in the world just happened? I, I was startled, and I was just like, I know what that is. And, and I'm 30 years old, so unless I'm highly medicated or something's gone wrong in our household, like I have control of my own bodily functions. And it dawned on me and Tara and Silas, he was surprised that I would confront him over such a thing. But <laughs> I, I was like, I was thinking to myself, somebody peed in daddy's pants and daddy didn't do it. Does anybody know who did it? And he had peed down my back and into my pants. And he, of course, when confronted, he runs off and, and, and runs down the hall. And I was sitting there thinking to myself like, I don't know, you just have those moments where you're just like, how did I get here? <laughs> like, if you trace the steps of my life, like, how did I get in this place where I'm sitting here on my bedroom floor in somebody else's filth? And uh, I don't know about you, but those moments where we kind of have that, like, wow, how did we get here? There, there's got to be a better way. Um, there's got to be a better way. Right now, I gotta somehow spin this spiritually. I'm I'm trying to think here through it. If I told you that I sat then on my bedroom floor in my child's filth for hours, you would think that was weird. If I told you I sat there for days, 
you would definitely think that was weird. Because nobody sits in their own filth when they're aware of their own filth. And so when we talk about Jesus being a better covenant, I think you're going to be surprised tonight that you see, even though we as Christians, by definition, live under a new covenant, a lot of us are not experiencing the blessings of the new covenant. For whatever reason, we're not experiencing the blessings of the new covenant. So I hope that you have some aha moments. I hope that you see you're experiencing a different life and there's something better. Uh, And for those of you who are experiencing the new covenant in in its fullest, I I hope that tonight is affirmation. So when you walk through this with me, when we walk through this together, I want you to ask yourself, are you, when we talk about the personal relationship with Jesus and the intimate blessings, are you experiencing this the way that you know God wants you to? Are you experiencing the new covenant? Or are you still in bondage to a former life, a lesser covenant? Because this is, this is one of those things, and it's funny, and it's always, you know, share stories, it's great, but like, you can't fake this. This is the beauty of the new covenant. The old covenant that we're going to talk about, you can kind of fake that a little bit. Like, you can look like you're doing everything you're supposed to do, and just feel rotten inside. This new covenant, because of the details of it, like you can't, you can't fake this. So let's walk through and see what God's word has for us tonight. All right, we're going to cover the first half of this chapter in the first section here. We'll, we'll kind of we'll, we'll bite off a big old chunk here at the beginning. Now I'm going to read the first seven verses, and then we're going to walk verse by verse through it. Hebrews chapter 8, starting in verse 1, says, Now the point in what we are saying is this. We have such a high priest one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places, in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Thus is necessary for this high priest also to have something to offer. Now, if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all, since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law. Verses 5 through 7. They serve a copy and shadow of heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God saying, see that, you ha- see that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. But as it is, Christ has obtained a better ministry that is as much more excellent than that. Ex- boy, I need to spell check some of this. Than the old as the, as the covenant he mediates is better since it is enacted on better promises. For if the first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. Okay, we sum up these first seven verses in saying that Jesus brings the better covenant. Now remember that the theme tonight is that Jesus is the better covenant, but Jesus mediates, he brings a better covenant. Now let's walk through this so we're all on the same page here. Uh, Verse 1 Remember, we're referring back to chapter 7, Melchizedek, high priest, whole nother priestly order, complicated stuff, but we spent all last week talking about it. So now the point in all of that is that we have such a high priest. He just got done saying there's a perfect, holy, blameless, spotless lamb that's been sacrificed for us. That is Jesus, and he is interceding for us right now. And then that reference there that he's seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, we hear Jesus say, I'm going to the right hand of the Father. When he ascends from earth after his resurrection, he says, I'm going to go do it. I'm going to intercede for you guys. So if you want to know where I am right now, 
till I come back, I'm going to be interceding for you at the right hand of the Father. And then we see this reference to uh, the earthly tabernacle. Now, you're going to see this, this copy, the shadow, this example, earthly things representing uh, beautiful heavenly realities. And it's saying, listen, you thought the tabernacle, the temple, all that good stuff on earth is great. Jesus represents going into the holy place in heaven. He's, he's right there in the presence of the Father. He's in a whole better kind of tent. It's, it's completely different, and it's better. It's not set up by man, Moses, and the Israelites on earth. It's set up by God himself. For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Thus, it's necessary for this high priest also to have something to offer. Okay, so every priest is offering sacrifices over and over and over continually. That's what they do for the Israelites. Jesus came, and he offered one sacrifice, his life for ours. So his death means we live. It's once for all, for all who would believe in him. So that's his sacrifice. It's a one-time thing. This verse right here, as we get into verse four, this is complicated a little bit. It says if he was on earth, he wouldn't be a priest at all. He, he wouldn't qualify. Jesus wouldn't make a good priest at all. Why? Two reasons. Number one, because on earth, priests in the Israel uh, nation, like they, they had to be through the Levitical genealogy, right? Aaron and the priesthood, they had to. And what we covered last week was that there's a whole other order, this order of Melchizedek that Jesus is through. And so he was through the line of Judah. He, he was from another tribe. He couldn't have been a priest at all. But number two, the priests on earth, according to the law, they would give over and over and over and over and over and over, 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 over just over and over and over. Jesus is perfect. He's not like these flawed priests on earth who you sin once, hey, we'll offer a sacrifice. You sin again, we'll offer another sacrifice, and we'll just do it relentlessly. Jesus is perfect. He sacrifices once. There's no need for any more sacrifices. So he shows up day one and says, <laughs> I just need a little bit of time to do my work. Y'all are going to be here for a long time, and you're never fully going to end up paying for the sins of the people. It's going to be relentless. It's going to wear you out. I just need a little bit of time. And he knocked it out. So he couldn't have been a priest on earth. And then it says that they serve, the priests on earth, they serve as a copy and shadow of heavenly things. Everything in the Old Testament, some of us wonder, why even have the Old Covenant, the Mosaic Law, all that stuff in the Old Testament? Why have the sacrifices? Why have everything? Well, it plays two really important thing, roles. Number one, the Old Testament and the, the Old Covenant, the Mosaic Law that we talk about, it showed us our need for God's grace. It showed us our need for something better than what we had in the Old Testament. But number two, the sacrifices in the Old Testament point to a, a better sacrifice in Jesus. The priests point to a better priesthood in Jesus. The earthly tent and tabernacle, temple, they're great, but they point to an everlasting one in heaven. They all are examples and copies and shadows pointing to something far greater. You've got to have a taste of something on earth to fully realize how good the heavenly stuff is. So God gave us that. He gave that to us. And we see proof of that when this author says again, hey, you know what? When Moses was on the mountain, Mount Sinai, he gets the, the Ten Commandments, all that stuff, and then he gets directions about the tabernacle and how to put all this stuff together. And God said, make sure that you do it according to the pattern of the one here in heaven. So he's saying, I want it to represent on earth something that's far greater in heaven. You read through all those chapters, you know what it's like. 
You get in Numbers and Deuteronomy, you start reading through chapter after chapter after chapter of, well, cubits and, and, and this length and that width and this one. And you're just like, what is the point of all this? And it's to say, listen, we're going to put all this time and effort into showing you something that points to something that is even more perfect than this. Like, if you think we're putting a lot of time into this, there's something even better. Like, none of that was given to us just for fun so that we could have some uh, sleeping material when we go to bed at night, something to put us to sleep. And so the author finishes up by saying, listen, all of this stuff in the Old Testament, the whole Mosaic law, it was given to us so that you could see as good as it is. Remember, these people who were around the temple, like the temple's a huge deal. We think of it like, eh, whatever. Like it's a huge deal to them. He's saying, if you think that's good, there's something so much better. And if you think the old covenant, the one that we're all following here, the Mosaic law, you think that is awesome and great and wonderful? Read the Psalms. Get to the end of Psalms, and you hear these young men writing these Psalms saying, I delight in your decrees. I love your law. Like these people loved it, even though they were in bondage to it. And the author's saying, listen, Jesus is much better. Heavenly than the earthly stuff. The old covenant, the difference between that and the new covenant, it is hugely different. And it says there's a fault in the old covenant. And we're going to see here in a second. The fault was not the covenant itself. The fault was not the law. The law was perfect. It was holy. The people following it were the fault. Verse 8 is going to say that God found fault in the people. Law is perfect. If you can follow the law, you're perfect. Problem is nobody can do it except for Jesus. All right. So that's a lot of stuff. Here's the bottom line. The difference between the two covenants is huge. I remember when I was in jail, um, when I was 18 years old, I got in trouble a bunch, and I, I just kept fighting people over and over and over, and long story short, I spent my first two months in college in a jail cell in Manhattan, Kansas, and it was not fun at all. It was not, um, you know, go and hang out and, 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 you know, play basketball and just spend your time doing it. Like, no, you were in your cell, and it was just boring for two months. It was horrible. I would sleep as much as I possibly could. I'd do push-ups. I would, I mean, I would do whatever uh, I had to do to pass the time. It was just boring. The food was gross, whatever. I still was blessed more than some folks are in this world being in a jail cell, but it was, it was just unpleasant. You can imagine what it's like when all your friends are having their first semester of college in a big college town like K-State, and I'm sitting on the other side of town in a jail cell on my 19th birthday, and I'm just thinking, this is not very fun. And I remember then the day I got out of jail, and it was awesome. And I remember like the freedom of driving to my, my hometown and my parents, they had a dinner for me and it was, it was great. It was sad, but then great at the same time. And I remember how good that meal tasted. I remember the freedom and just be like, I can do what I want. Like, this is amazing. Oh man, the difference between being in jail and being free was awesome. You can imagine how awesome it would be. But guess what? It didn't take me very long to realize as I went to my probation officer three times a week, month after month after month. I might not have been in jail, but I was still under the law. And so if it was awesome being in, 
going from jail to some freedom, but at the end of the day, I was still under the law. How amazing is it to say we're going from a covenant that is the law to a completely different law, a law of grace and mercy, and it's going to be mind-blowing. Like, like I, I mean, we take some earthly example like that, and we think, yeah, those are distinct, but could you even imagine being the Hebrews and going from an entirely different covenant? It would have shaken things up. It would have shaken things up. It's a brand new reality. So what are these two different covenants? When we talk about the, the two different covenants, and we're going we're gonna to flush this out tonight, but when we talk about it, we're talking about not only the new covenant we have now in Jesus, but there was lots of covenants in the Old Testament. Okay, Noah had a covenant. Um, you know, David, there's covenants there. there. There's covenants throughout the Old Testament, and four or five or six major ones. And so it's important to understand, we're talking about the law of Moses, the Ten Commandments, and all of the rituals and different things that come along with that. That's the covenant we're talking about. Now, that covenant was not given to the people in Israel just in a vacuum all by itself. It was given to them several hundred years after God had said through Abraham, I want to have a covenant with you, and you're going to be my chosen people. You're going to be my children, my nation, and you're going to go to a promised land, so you're going to have lots of offspring. It's going to spread. It's going to be great. You're going to have lots of land. It's going to be wonderful. And then hundreds of years later, so going to the promised land, God then gives them the second covenant, the covenant we're talking about. That's the law. So here, you got to have some rules to live by. So that's what they're coming from. So it doesn't sound that bad. Matter of fact, if you take it and relate it to what we have in America, <laughs> if you think about it, those original covenants, it was basically saying, hey, listen, you want to go, uh, you, you want to get raised up, you want to go to school, go to college, get married, have lots of kids, that's wonderful, have a great covenant with your spouse. Maybe you could get a house, right? You could maybe get some land and you can get some cars and trucks and whatever you want to drive around. Like You can have these things, it's awesome. And then you can have some religion, like you can go to church uh, and, and you can read the Bible sometimes, and you can have this relationship with God, but just not really relationship kind of, it's more like a religion, you know, like, it's not that crazy different than what most of us stumble into here in America. It's really not that different. And that's what they had, like, that was their covenant, and in and of itself, those things aren't bad. But, like, they're starting to see, like, maybe this is as good as it gets, Right? Maybe like just having a bunch of kids and getting married and having some land. Like maybe this is the blessing that is of all blessings. Maybe this is the great thing. And these Hebrews reading this book, they were considering going back to this and being like, maybe, maybe that life was, was better than, than this new one with Jesus. Because now we're getting persecuted and it's kind of scary and it's hard. Like they were struggling with that. But this new covenant is different. This new covenant's different because you can take the old covenant. Man, I'm telling you what, I can't. There's a lot of people who come in here on Sunday and, and they, again, by definition, call themselves Christians. I live under the new covenant of, of grace and mercy with, with Jesus. And his, listen, they, and they make it a lifestyle that looks a whole lot like the old covenant. They just shake a little bit of Jesus onto this old, lesser covenant. And they're deceived every step of the way. And they wonder why life isn't a little bit better. Why they're not experiencing God more. So this new covenant is not saying like, hey, you're going to have lots of children. It's saying, hey, you're going to be the very children of God adopted into his family. You're going to be not only have Jesus as Lord, but also as brother. 
This is going to be great. You're, you're not just going to get land. No, it's not about land on earth. This new covenant is about being citizens of heaven. It's going to be so much better. You ever feel like you just don't belong here? Like, yeah, that's, that's put in there <laughs> by God because you don't really belong here. So don't get too comfortable. And you're not going to just have this religion and these rules, but you're going to have a brand new heart. And you're going to be born again, and you're going to live in a new reality as a child of a king. This would have been a huge change of thinking. Huge change of thinking. And you say, well, the whole point of this is that Jesus brings a better covenant. In verse 6, it says that Jesus mediates. He mediates. So he's not just that, that he and the relationship with him is the better covenant. It's that he is the mediator. So this legal term of him being in between us and God, how priests were mediators between mankind and God. Now Jesus is doing that. So you don't just come through Jesus, but you come to Jesus. And so you can, you can ask yourself tonight, as, we, as we're walking through this, and you think, well, am I experiencing the new covenant blessings of this relationship, this thriving, intimate relationship with the God of the universe? Listen, you can always know whether you're experiencing it by who you're going to. Because if there's only one mediator between man and God, if you find yourself overwhelmed by the drama and the worries of this world, it's probably because you're looking for somebody else. And we talk about this week in and week out. But if you know, hey, and I know this sounds so simple, but we've gotten to the place in, in the church where we say, hey, how's your relationship with God? Um, are, you like, are you reading your Bible? Are you talking to him? Are you obeying him? How's all that going? And, and we just get so nonchalant about it. And then we go on and we say, eh, it's not that great. I'm kind of struggling, but it's just kind of over here. And we kind of push the whole new covenant and all of its blessings to the side. And then we talk about, well, I want to know God's plan for my life and whatnot. I'm just kind of deciding some things at work and this and that. And it's like, are you kidding me? Like we're, we as the church are pushing the new covenant to the side so that we can get back back to the old covenant. And so if you want to know or you experience the new covenant promises, you got to take those questions serious. You got to be like, listen, if Jesus is the mediator of the new covenant and I'm not spending much time with Jesus, chances are I'm not experiencing the blessings of the new covenant. And you find yourself wrapped up in the things of this world. Verses 8 and 9. For he finds fault with them when he says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. For they did not continue in my covenant, and I showed, so I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord. Oh my this is, this is powerful stuff. Okay, so here's what's happening. Remember, there was fault found with the first covenant, not in, the, in and of the law itself, but in the people following it because we just couldn't keep up. We couldn't do it, okay? So now we see for the majority of the rest of the chapter, up until verse 13, we see a quote. This is a very important quote from the Old Testament. It's Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 31 through 34. It's the only time in the New, or excuse me, in the Old Testament that you see the word new covenant, so the new covenant's referred to from time to time. We talk all about the Messiah and prophesy about him, but this new covenant that he's bringing, this is huge. And of course, that was 600 years prior to it actually coming true in Christ. 
So they had a ways to wait after this. But he says, listen, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord. He talks about this new covenant, this new covenant. And it's going to be beautiful because you've got to understand, while they're reading this in Jeremiah around 600 B.C., they are going into exile. So northern Israel, the 10 of the 12 tribes, they have already been beat up by the Assyrians. 722 B.C., they get wiped away. They get spread throughout, uh, you know, the world. And now then you've just got two tribes of the house of uh, Israel left. You've got uh, just Judah and another tribe. And so they are about to go into exile. They're about to go into exile by the Babylonians. Now, I know this is all history, but this is important because it's saying, I'm going to make one covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. So I'm going to bring everybody back together. I'm going to bring people back together. The whole house is coming back together. And it doesn't look like, it's not like the covenant that I made before. It's going to be different. I'm going to bring them out. That's what he did in the first covenant. He brought them out of Egypt. But this is so scary. Verse 9 is so scary. They did not continue in my covenant, so I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord. You see, this covenant we're talking about, this old one, it was conditional. It was conditional. The new one we're talking about, it's unconditional. It's unconditional. Jason said earlier that we come to it by faith, right? If you want to call that condition, great, you can call it. But staying in it and receiving the blessings, it's not conditional on us. Doesn't mean we don't need to be obedient. Doesn't No, that's not what I'm talking about. But it'll make sense. Listen, here, here. In Deuteronomy chapter 28, important chapter, it's talking about this old covenant, this Mosaic law, okay? And it says there will be blessings and cursings based on whether the nation of Israel can follow it. So God lays out, he says, listen, if you follow my covenant, my laws, knowing fully well that they're not going to be able to perfectly follow. But he says, if you follow them, man, your land is going to be great. You're going to farm and you're going to have lots of food. It's going to be wonderful. I'm going to bless the nation. You're going to grow. Your enemies are going to bow down to you. You're going to expand like life is going to be good. And he explains it. You're going you're to prosper. Some of us think that's what the new covenant is. No, we're talking old covenant still. Then he says, but if you don't continue in my ways, you will be cursed. You will have famine in the land. You're going to have war come up on you. It's going to be horrible. You're going to get taken over. And it even says this. It says that you're going to be frustrated and confused in all of your undertakings. God's saying, if you don't continue in this covenant, your life is going to be miserable. Even to the point where God says, do your own thing. I'm backing off. That is scary. Every day when I come home at noon, I walk in through the back door, then we have a door between our our, um, back door and the actual kitchen living room area. And so I'll come in and Tara knows I'm coming in and I'll knock on that inside door and I'll hear Silas in the living room say, Daddy, Daddy, Daddy. And Tara will say, Who do you think it is? Daddy, Daddy, Daddy. And he'll come running up to the door. We do it every day so he knows what to expect. We, We have standards. We go through the routine and it's wonderful. And, and so he, he comes up, and he can't quite open the doorknob yet, so I'll turn it for him, and I'll just stand there. And so I'll see him kind of pull it open, and then he sees me, and he says, Daddy! And he used to jump into my arms, and it was fun, but then he doesn't do that quite as much anymore. And so I kind of, the other day, I was like, man, he'll see me. He'll say, Daddy, Daddy, he'll see me. And then he'll turn around and like walk back away and do his thing. I'm like, no, no, let's switch it up. And so <laughs> a couple days ago, I come home, 
And, uh, and I, I knock on the door, and he comes running. He says, Daddy, Daddy, Daddy. And I open it, and he starts to open it. But then I hid behind the door, and he opens it all the way, and I just wait for a second. And then I jump out, and I scare him. I scare him, and I saw him shake like this. And without missing a beat, he looks at me. And he can only say a word here and there. He looks at me. Whenever he gets really angry or he's done with his food or whatever, he just says, done, done, done. He looks at me, and he goes, he jumps, and he goes, done. And he slams the door on my face. And he just, I could see him back there, his little feet. He was pushing that door on my face like he was so sick and tired of me. And he just, done, done, done. And I was just like, I was kind of doing this number, like looking at Tara, like, oh, this is sad. This is horrible. And he just kept pushing. And when I finally got him to open it, he was ticked off. <laughs> and I thought to myself, wow, this is how a lot of people view their relationship with God. If they don't meet his standards today or they do something a little out of the ordinary, that they're abandoned. That God says, done! Some of us feel like we're one sin away from him saying, done! And slamming the door in our face. That's incredibly sad. You see, when we talk about the old covenant, for us as Americans, part of us, we love it. This is, the, this is what capitalism is all about. We love being in a land where we, if we do good and we perform well, have blessings that other people don't. Like we want, we are in the land of opportunity, right? And so part of the old covenant, we love. We love like, oh, really? We're going to be blessed if we follow God's commands? Give me a shot. But then there's a flip side that means we got to bear the burden of the consequence if we don't measure up. And that's sad. I remember when I was little, I've got twin sisters that were seven years younger than me. They're still seven years younger than me. And, and I've got older brothers, and my older brothers, they, they were um, moving on into high school and whatnot, and I was in junior high, and so I would always find myself like, well, they don't want to hang out with me. And my little sisters, I mean, they're they're just little sisters, and so, you know, in our tiny little town, there wasn't much to do, and we had uh, these old full-size Dallas Cowboy and, and Philadelphia Eagles football helmets, and we had shoulder pads, and we had jerseys. We had the whole nine yards, and I remember um, when they were like five or six years old, and I wanted to play football, but there was no one to play football with. I would make them dress up in these, this football outfit, and they would have these big old helmets on, and they'd just be doing this number, and there'd just be little arms hanging out of these shoulder pads, and they would get out there, and we would go out to, to the yard, and I would tell them, I'd say, okay, we're going to play one-on-one, and then I'll be like all-time quarterback or something. And, and I would tell them, this is weird, <laughs> I would say, okay, like just so for some incentive, who, if you score a touchdown, I'll give you a donut. And I'm telling you, we came from a small town, there's nothing going on, so like if you get a donut, that's like the best thing ever. And so <laughs> I, <laughs> I, uh, I would play this game with them, and they would rack up donuts here and there. Well, one of them always quit, like really early on. Why? Because she was five, and she was a horrible football player. And she knew it. And she would always lose, and the other one would rack up donuts. Like I remember the last time we played, she had like 20 donuts. I still owe her 20 donuts, because I don't <laughs> think I ever paid it. And, and, and so I remember one of them would always run away, and cry and quit, and the other one would always be victorious and have like a lot of donuts uh, that I owed them. And I, I remember thinking to myself, this probably isn't the healthiest thing for our relationship. It's probably isn't good. Because when your performance determines how the rest of the relationship goes, you're always in this state of, if I, if I fail... If I screw up, I don't get blessed. 
And I know there's got to be some people in here tonight that when you see your relationship with God, you think, I know I disappoint him, but I'm working my way out of his favor. I'm telling you what, the new covenant, the new covenant is God saying, I'm stepping in, and I didn't give you the old covenant because I'm a mean God, and it wasn't like I didn't have grace and didn't have mercy, but I gave you something that I knew you couldn't meet up to so that when you see my grace and mercy, when you see my work compared to your own flawed works, you're going to be blown away. And the new covenant is God saying, okay, I've let you stay in this mess, this performance-based mess for a while, and now I'm telling you what, you want good performance? Jesus Christ on the cross, the perfect flawless one dying in your place, his finished work, it is done once for all, and you're going to stand in that. I'm going to let you live in that reality, and you're going to be blessed forever, and you can't work your way out of my favor. You cannot earn more of it, and you can't lose it. Doesn't mean we can't please him or disappoint him, but certainly not in the way that we think we are. This new covenant is about work, but it's about his work and our response of faith. Like, do you ever just bask in that? See, unless you've lived in the performance-based world, the works-based world for a while, it's hard to bask in this grace. But I know tonight, you've got to know what I'm talking about. I know some of you, you got to know what I'm talking about. When your relationship and the blessings of it, some of you, you've dated someone that you knew, hey, if I don't just, if I don't just act right, if I don't look good, if I don't, then, then I'm not going to be the latest and greatest, and they might leave at any moment. Gosh, you know how sick that makes you feel? I could give examples over and over and over all throughout life. Performance-based blessings are miserable. And God says the new covenant is not going to work that way. Verses 10 through 12. For this is the covenant. Okay, so now we're talking about what the covenant actually looks like. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. Remember, we're still in Jeremiah 31. I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people, and they shall not teach each other, each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, for I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. All right, this is great. So now we're talking about an inward faith compared to an outward religion. This is beautiful stuff here. So in Jeremiah, we're talking about the core of this. Now you're going to see four major aspects of this new covenant with God. Okay, the first one, the first one is that his laws are going to be put into our minds and written on our hearts. There's going to be an inner desire to obey God. It's not going to be prompted by guilt or condemnation. God, it wants you to be born again. When you place your faith in Jesus, he saves us. We call this regeneration. He gives us a new heart. He lets us walk in a brand new reality, a reality that it basks in the glory of his finished work for us, not what we are, have been, or could be, as if God's waiting for us to shape up so he can finally love us. No, it's going to be inner transformation because God says, listen, I wrote my law on tablets of stone. I'm going to write them on your heart. I'm going to come. I'm going to live inside of you. The spirit of God is going to be living inside of you. An inward transformation is going to happen. That's great. Are you experiencing this inner desire to want to obey God? The second one is that we're going to have a firm standing relationship with God. 
He's declaring, you will be my people. Not, hey, when you do good, come let me know. You can hang out with me. No, like, you will be my people. And then we have this part that's kind of complicated. Now, some people wonder when they read this and they say, they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, know the Lord, for they all shall know me from the least of these to the greatest. This least of these to the greatest is really important. Some would say, what is that saying? Like, we shouldn't evangelize? We shouldn't share our faith with each other? Or that one day everybody's going to save? What does, that, what does that mean? Well, it's not telling us that. Here's what it's telling us. In the Old Testament, we don't see them telling each other to go and teach their neighbors these things. We see the primary thing that happened was priests would give people knowledge by teaching them about God. And so more than anything, this is a declaration that in this new covenant, the least to the greatest, this is what we call the priesthood of all believers. That you don't have to all wait for the priest to enlighten you, but that when God's spirit comes in, that we have a new heart, that we, want to desi- we desire to obey him. We're in firm standing relationship with him because of his work, not ours that we don't have to wonder, hey, who knows him and who doesn't? We all get access to him. And then the fourth thing is that his mercy is poured out on us and he will not remember our sins. This iniquities, it means wickedness. For I will be merciful toward their wicked hearts. Man, this this is amazing. This is amazing. So instead of the written law, God puts a spirit in us, his spirit. Some say, well, okay, so this is pretty awesome. So does this mean then, like, we don't have to follow all these laws? And now it's going to be, like, really easy. So, like, technically, I don't have to do anything, right? Like, I can, just, I can just have faith, and I'm saved, and everything's good and wonderful. I would say this. If God gives the written law, Now, we see not just the Ten Commandments, but we see over 600 laws, ceremonial laws, all kinds of laws. If God gives us laws, or he gives us the spirit of the law, which one do you think might actually be a little more difficult to follow? You see, the written law, you can hear about God from a distance, and you can see God wants us to do this great and wonderful. But if something doesn't, you know, doesn't apply, like I I can still kind of live outside of that here. Uh, I got his written law, wonderful, great. But when the spirit of the law lives in you, it's not just God saying, hey, uh, don't do that. That's written in the law. Don't, Don't do that. No, when the spirit of God lives in you, it's actually more strict but beautiful in an intimate way. It's it's God saying, listen, hey, Ryan, don't go left. I want you to go right, right? It's not, hey, you know what? I see a homeless person on the side of the road, and I'm wondering, what does the law say about helping them? Well, technically, the law doesn't say I have to. I mean, if they walk through a corner of my field, I should take 10% of it. Okay, so like you could do that all day long, but the spirit of the law says, Ryan, stop the car. Go back. And this is why I say you can't fake it. Because the very spirit inside of you is is perfecting you and changing you and transforming you and moving in you in in a holy way. And I'm telling you what, the things that the spirit of the law asks you to do are intimate. And so like to obey them, to, to, let's take one of them, for example, abide in Christ. It means live in Christ. Talk about intimate. 
Like to be in tune with the Holy Spirit, to be uh, living in Jesus, be like, okay, God, you direct my day. You tell me where to go. You tell me what to do, Father. I'm, I'm starting a prayer that I don't want to end today. I want to walk with you. I'm not worried about just what this, this, this says or who's looking right now. No, I'm, I have your spirit. I'm walking in a new covenant, a new reality. Let's, let's do this. It's a whole different ballgame. Some, I would say it's actually a little more strenuous. But with that, the flip side is that it's more intimate and beautiful and the blessings are wonderful. Because you don't just go to a priest who says, okay, we atone for your sins, so now you have God's mercy until the next time. And it's like, okay, great. Whenever I want to learn about God, I'll come to you. And then if I'm good for a while, you just tell me and I'll, just, I'll go back to my house. And, oh, this is, man, this is beating me down. No, it's, it's you hearing from the Father's voice, Ryan, I love you. I know you made a mistake. Father, I don't, I don't want to sin against you. My desire is not to sin against you. Ryan, I'm giving you mercy. I'm giving you grace. Like to experience that directly from the Father is mind-blowingly powerful. It's a whole different kind of intimacy. It's a whole different kind of intimacy. You see, because the Spirit, listen to me, the old covenant is the law written on stone, but it can also be received by hearts of stone who don't really love God, but they look like they have it all together. And I know we say this is happening in the church, but really it, it shouldn't be this way because the spirit can only rest. It can only come into hearts that are soft and, and the ground is fertile. Like it's not, it, does, it, it, can, it can shatter hard hearts, but God's not forcing himself onto you. Like, you have to have a heart. It's, a, it's like people say, well, nobody comes to the cross on their own two feet, only their hands and knees. Like, you have to be broken by God. He has to open that heart, and he has to draw you in. So you can't really fake this. You really can't fake it. There's going to be a distinction in what true believers look like. Last but not least, Verse 13, Jeremiah quote is done. The author's back to just speaking. And he says, in speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete. And what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. It's ready to vanish away. Let me ask you this tonight. Are you still holding on? Are you like the Hebrew Christians hearing this letter, reading this letter? You know your old way of life. You know the curse of it. You know the relentless burden of it. But you also know some of it wasn't all that bad. When times were good, times were good, right? Are you holding on to that even though you've been enlightened that there is a better way? That it's not just Jesus bringing a better covenant. It's that the relationship with Jesus is the better covenant. I remember when I first started looking into God. I moved to Hutchinson when I was 19. After I got out of jail, I couldn't hang around Manhattan. All my friends, they just drank. They hung out and did things that I wasn't going to do. I couldn't do. I thought, man, I got, I got to do something noble with my life. I moved to Hutch. I go to firefighter school. I think I, got to, I, got, I just got to do something noble. And as I'm down there, I meet a girl. 
We start dating, and we're together for a year and a half. She introduces me to Cross Point Church. I start going. We go there every week. We listen to the sermon. We, we, you know, we talk about it briefly, and then we don't apply any of it throughout the week. You know what that's like. Hopefully not, but I'm sure we all do. And so we were taking care of the religion aspect, right? It looked like we had that whole thing down. I'd never really let Jesus break into this hard heart. And so then we dated, and on the outside it looked like things were good, but I knew what it was like to really be in this relationship, and it was pretty miserable. I was in turmoil all the time. And I remember thinking to myself as we got closer to the engagement, and then while we were engaged, thinking like, is this, like, this is what life is going to be like with this person? And they're probably thinking the same thing about me. And I remember just thinking like deep down in my quiet moments, thinking like, if this is what life is like, and on the outside, people would say, man, you're doing good, Ryan. Wow, you're engaged. You're about to finish school. Like, they would all be clapping. You're going to church. It's great. But I thought to myself, this stinks. If they only knew that I really hate this, they wouldn't be clapping. Of course, compared to being in jail, I'm doing pretty good, right, in their minds. And I remember it got so bad that we were just constantly fighting and, and there was nothing in this relationship that was honoring to God and, and it was just, I just couldn't handle it anymore. I, we just, we broke up, we ended the engagement. It was miserable, but we did it. And I remember three weeks later, I went back to church and I was walking in and I saw her family there with, with a new guy. Now, when I was with her, I had put all my friends, all my family, like all my eggs into one basket. They were all her family and her friends. And so when we broke up, I didn't just lose, you know, a girl. I lost like all my friends and family. But I was coming back to church, and I see her just replace me with this new guy that I didn't even know about. And after we broke up, I found out that she was probably cheating on me, and like all kinds of things started coming out. And I remember her family, I remember looking over there and seeing them laughing with this guy. And I was thinking to myself, oh my gosh, like how, how can I be so easily replaced? And I remember I went back home, and I was contemplating suicide, and I was just thinking, this is, this is horrible. My anxiety disorder had got to the pinnacle of horribleness. I was going to go to the Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. Um, I had dropped out of school because I couldn't even go to class. I was just miserable. Within a couple months, Jesus, after knocking for a long time, said, are you, you going to finally come into this? And I did. And I was taking a leap of faith at that time, but it did not take me very long with Jesus as I saw him heal my loneliness, as I saw him come into my life in ways that like she could have never fulfilled. And I remember then my mind and church and everything changed and I, I started to experience the blessings of this new covenant. And I thought to myself, and I have thought ever since then, I would never, ever, under any circumstances, desire to go back to that old relationship and the way things were. But you want to know what? All throughout that relationship, up until the very end, up until the day I gave my life to Jesus, I was begging God to save what I thought was valuable. And he let me go through that. He let me go through that. And on this side of the cross, he says, Ryan, you thought it was good but you had no idea what good is. I'm telling you right now, church, there's some of you coming in here day in, day out. You know, well, I think I'm kind of growing and it's great. I'm telling you what, what Jesus has for you is so much better. And once you have revelation that the new covenant and living under this and having freedom, true freedom in Christ, this easy yoke, like whenever you experience, like you can't go back to that former life and there should be nothing appealing to it anymore.
And Jesus is drawing and inviting you into greater depth. And he wants you to experience more and more and more of this grace and this mercy and this beauty. In Matthew 5, 17, it says, Jesus says, I, I did not come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill it. When you look at what you've come from, you see that, man, it gets so much better. Jesus is the better covenant. As we close in prayer, I want you to think about what you're holding on to. What you think is so special and important about a lesser covenant that you can't quite give it up. And tonight, I want us to give that to Jesus. It's time that we stop just hearing decent sermons about this new covenant and this gospel of grace and mercy and start living in its reality. Let's pray.